God, we praise you today for a new day, for the privilege to worship you in this place together. We praise you for how you are moving even now. As we read in the scriptures of your work in the early days of the church, we long to see revival. We long to see renewal. We long to see an awakening. Even now, as this apparent movement of the Spirit is happening in Asbury University, we give thanks for what you're doing there. We pray for those that are involved. We pray for those who are being moved. We pray that they would truly be hearing from the conviction of the Spirit through your word, coming to repentance, coming to faith, forsaking sin, knowing you more and more. As much as we praise you for what is going on there, we pray that Christ would continue to be lifted high, not only there, but even in this place. We pray that the Spirit of God would move in this place. We pray that our hearts would be moved for your glory and for our good. And we praise you in advance for what you might do even now. And as we seek you, we recognize that you are a holy God, you are a powerful God, and we are sinners. And so in the quietness of this moment, we quiet our hearts and ask that you would search us. And show us our sin. That we may repent and receive forgiveness through Christ. Father, forgive us of our sins. And Father, thank you for the assurance of pardon that we have through the death of Christ, whose death is sufficient to forgive our sins. This morning we ask for your grace for the families of the victims of the shooting at Michigan State earlier this week. We pray for all those who have been affected by the actions undertaken. There are not words to convey the, the horror and the evil of such an act. So God, we pray for your mercy. And we pray that Jesus would come back soon. We ask for our own faith family today who are dealing with issues of physical, emotional, and spiritual difficulties. For those facing treatments, surgeries, for those struggling with depression and anxiety, those dealing with sin issues, 
We pray that they would look to you today. That for those who need to repent, they would repent today. For those who need the help that only you can give, they'd look to you today. That for those who are afraid and are weary, that they would find their rest and their confidence in the one who is our shelter, our refuge, our very present help in time of need. And as we approach your word this morning, we pray that you would comfort us, confront us, and conform us more into the image of your Son through the power of your Spirit to whom we yield ourselves as we pray. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may obey your will through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> the Pew Bible, that is on page 1. Last week, we read the declaration of God's creation of the heavens and the earth. A creation of God out of nothing. In verse 2, we saw how the earth was without form and void. And now today, out of that emptiness, God speaks and God creates. We can see this description in creation, verses 3 through 31. We can see it in two parts, these 29 verses. The forming of the earth and the filling of the earth. The forming, the forming starting in verse 3 through 13, and the filling from verses 14 through 31. This form and fill is a direct response to what we read in verse 2, that the earth was without form and it was void. So forming and filling of creation answers verse 2 of without form and void. So as we go through these verses, we'll note how Moses shows the correspondence between days 1, 2, and 3 with days 4, 5, and 6. But before we get to those verses, we ought to note that the writing of Moses is historical. It is a historical narrative. Now, Moses was recounting actual history, something that actually occurred. It is not a metaphor, it is not poetry, it is not an analogy, it is actual history. He's recounting what actually took place. Uh, through this, uh, or though this is, is not an exhaustive explanation of creation, clearly, in 29 verses, Moses is not giving to us an exhaustive description of creation. He is giving us an explanation. And it is, according to one, one com commentator, a chronological reality. Uh, this reality, which through the rest of the, the Bible, the Old Testament and New, seems to affirm, affirm that it is history. 
in the book of Exodus, in the book of Isaiah, in the book of John, in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Revelation, all understood that God created the heavens and the earth, literally created the heavens and the earth. Moses penned this history not simply for the sake of a record, but in the context of the the time that he would have written as a a pushback against the pagan mythologies and worldviews of the day. And so as Moses describes on day one, what happens on day one, which we'll see in a moment, he is dismissing the gods of light and of darkness. On day two, he's dismissing the gods of the sky and the sea. On day three, he's dismissing the the earth gods and the gods of vegetation. On day four, it's the sun, moon, and star gods that Moses has in mind. On day five and six, Moses explains that there is no divinity within the animal kingdom and that humans are not divine, but rather made in the image of God. Now, these things might seem obvious enough to you, but there are those today who would believe all of those things. And so Moses was not only pushing back at the time, but even still today, these very things that he was dismantling, he was dismissing through his recounting of creation are true today and helpful today. So first, the forming of the earth. Day one, light and dark. Pick it up in verse three. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now we might read this first day and and think that the first thing that happens on day one is to note, uh, of note, is that, that light appeared. That's not actually the first thing that Moses makes mention of. The first thing we see is the phrase, and God said. And God said. This is repeated 10 times in chapter 1. What is Moses saying? Creation is no accident. Creation is calculated. It is intentional. Moses was indicating that this God is sovereign. This God is transcendent and that his word has power. God said, let there be light and there was light. Psalm chapter 33, verse 6 and then verse 9, verse 6 says, But the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Verse 9, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. God said, and God said. God spoke and it happened. God spoke and it came to be. Derek Kidner notes that this leaves no room for a self-existent university, universe. No self-existent universe. God had to be involved. God started it. God made it. God did it. Now to day one and to the light. God said, let there be light and there was light. Now, how could there be light, we may wonder. Day four, we see the sun appear. So what do we make of this light if it's not from the sun? The light we know comes from God. John chapter one, verse four says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. 
This, is not only hap- this not only happened at the beginning of time, we also know that this will be true at the end of time. In the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 5, it says, And the night will be no more, and there will be no, need, no, no light, or let me read, they will, there will need no lamp. Let me try to read. <clears throat> Rewind. Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. And the night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will, bring, will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. The Lord God will be their light. Where does the light come from? It comes from God himself. He is light. In the scriptures, we know that light is associated with Christ. It's associated with his word. It's associated with his people. It's associated with his blessing. And this light here in verse verse, uh, 3 is contrasted in verse 4. God saw the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. Darkness, on the other hand, is associated with Satan, with death with spiritual ignorance, and with divine judgments. So here on day one, God separates the light from the darkness and begins a theme in these first three days of separation, where God separates the day from the night, the waters above from the waters below, and the land from the water. It's a principle of separation. It's a principle that would carry on into the the, the Bible, into the Old Testament, where the children of Israel are called to be separate from other nations. It, It continues into the New Testament. As God calls his people, he calls the church to be separate from the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 say, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? These are all rhetorical questions, aren't they? None. There, there is no fellowship there. As there is no fellowship with light and darkness, there is no fellowship between a believer and an unbeliever, with righteousness and lawlessness, with light and with dark. Separation is a theme throughout the Bible of God calling us to be separate, to come out, being called out from the world called out to to not love the world or the things of the world, but rather to do the will of God. And as we come to verse 5, we we read the end of the first day. And it says, "And and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now this also is a repeated phrase, which indicates a day. That's Moses' way of saying a day, evening and morning. Now, we would say day and night. Uh, in the Jewish way of keeping time, they go from evening to the next evening. So evening and morning is referred to as a day. Moses calls this, this the first day. Now, we can't talk about creation and not deal with the word day. Uh, many of you may be familiar with the, the debate of what, what the word day means here in Genesis 1. We could quickly dismiss this by saying a day means a day and move on with our our time, uh, just like the normal interpretation of a day might be. However, we should understand that there are good and faithful Bible teachers who have arrived at different conclusions. There are views, there are views, other views that are faithful to the Bible 
that affirm that God is the God of creation and that he did it out of nothing, and they equally deny any theory of evolution. There are other views than a sixth literal day. However, a day can mean, in fact, 24 hours. It can also mean a period of time. It can mean an age, not necessarily 24 hours long. So there are some faithful Bible teachers who see the days here as ages, not literal days, but periods of time. There's others who see them as a structural device used to convey the truth of creation and not necessarily consecutive days. Still others see them as 24-hour days separated by undefined or indefinite periods of time. Uh, There's one particular uh, Bible scholar who sees days four, five, and six as 24-hour days because the sun has appeared, while days one, two, and three are something else. You can't can't keep time, he would suggest, because there is no sun to mark a 24-hour day. Now, in my estimation, and this is just my estimation, some of these ideas are worth considering, and some of them are not. In the end, as Kent Hughes writes, we must stay in line with the Scripture. That's the goal. It's not what you think it should be. It's not what you think science says it is. We must keep in line with the Scripture. Many of those who hold to different views do just that. They stay in line with the Scripture too. They they are supporting their views from the Scripture. So we should be careful how harshly we judge those who may disagree with us. Having said all of that, it seems that a day means a day. That a day indicates a 24-hour day, evening and morning. Now Moses used day on on days 4, 5, and 6 when the sun appeared. That's how he referred to those days. So it seemed logical then that if he used that word to describe that day, then using that same word to describe another day would be equally true, if that makes sense. Additionally, Moses again in the book of Exodus refers to the days of creation as the reason for a six day work, six work days and Sabbath. So Exodus chapter 20, it's the, the Ten Commandments. Moses writes this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. And then in verse 11 he says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So here Moses is equating this, this six days of work that God has done with the six work days for the Jewish people with the Sabbath day of rest, which the Lord himself took on day seven as well. So for our time and for our purposes, we will see these days as just that, days. Literal 24-hour solar days. But the most important part here is not how long it took. That's not the most important part. It is a part. It's not the most important part. It's not the most pressing issue that we have in the text. The most important part is who did the creating. That's the most important part. The most important part is God's authority, his sovereignty, his power. That's the point. It's the emphasis on the creation. The emphasis of the creation narrative is on the creator, on who did it. 
And we see his, his power from the beginning of each day with that same description, which we already noted. And God said, God is doing this. It is his work. And as we look to, to, to verse 6, we see the beginning of day 2 with those same words. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the water and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Now this is the first time we see the phrase in verse 7, which will also be repeated several times. And it was so. God spoke it and it was so. What God says, he does. What God speaks will be done. Isaiah says his word goes out and does not return void. What God says he will do, we can trust his promises. But here we read about the creation of the sea and the sky, called here the expanse or the firmament, the heaven or the sky. One commentator calls this a vaporous blanket. Another commentator says this was the visible expanse of the sky with waters of the sea below and the clouds holding the water above. And when we get to day five, we'll understand this better as we see how God fills that sky. But with this division in place, waters above, waters below, we move to day three in verse nine. And it says, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the Waters that were gathered together, he called seas, and he saw that it was good. Here the waters are separated from the land in order to make dry land. But unlike days one and two, we see a second act of creation in verses 11 through 13, still on day three. Day one and two, we have single acts. Now day three, we have a, 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 a double act, if you will. Look at verse 11. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit, bearing, fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind, trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening. And there was morning the third day. In this second act of creation, at the word of God, the earth, from the earth comes vegetation. From the earth comes plants yielding seed, comes trees bearing fruit. God spoke it and he made it happen. On day three, we see the final forming of the earth. Right? From the formlessness of day two, now, in these first three days, the earth is formed and ready to be filled. And that's just what we see in the rest of the chapter as God fills the earth, starting on day four in verse 14, reads, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. 
and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heaven to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. Now, I told you at the beginning that, that there's a comparison. There's a, there's a pairing of days one and four, two and five, three and six. And the overhead is trying to show that comparison. Light on day one, uh, we saw light come. Now, now we see the sun, moon, and stars into that. But Moses does not call them sun and moon, does he? He calls them greater lights, two greater lights. You see that in verse 16. And there's a reason why he does not call them sun and moon. And the reason he does not call them sun and moon is because of the pagan gods. He doesn't want to use the, the words that the pagan gods use. The pagan gods believe there was a sun god and that there was a moon god. So what Moses is doing here is saying there is no such thing as a sun god. And there's no such thing as a moon god. In fact, they are created by God, by the creator God. There's no such thing as these pagan gods in which Egypt has taught. There is one God who has created everything, including the sun, including the moon. And at the end of verse 16, we see it almost tagged on there, and the stars. He creates the, the sun and the moon. Oh yeah, and the stars. And all 10 billion trillions of the stars. He did that too. What's the point? Moses' emphasis here is not astronomical. It's not about the sky so much as it is about God. It's theological. Moses was saying in effect, see all this in the sky? God did it. God put it there. He's the creator. All of that, all of that is shouting to you that there is a creator. There's a story told of the 17th century mathematician and philosopher, Sir Isaac Newton, who built a miniature mechanical replica of our solar system. It had a large ball at the center representing the sun with various spheres attached to the ends of rods at various lengths representing other planets. There were cogs and belts to make it all move around in harmony. An unbelieving friend and scientist one day entered Newton's study and said, My Newton, what an exquisite thing this is. Who made it for you? And without looking up, Newton replied, Nobody. Nobody, his friend asked. Newton said, That's right. I said, Nobody. All these balls and cogs and belts and gears just happened to come together. And wonder of wonders, by chance, they began revolving in a set orbit with perfect timing. Surely his friend got the point. But do you know that if our moon was closer, that the tides of the, the, tides of the ocean would inundate whole continents? That if the earth were not exactly at a 23 degree tilt, we would lose our seasons, but more importantly, we would lose life itself as the vapors from the ocean would move north and south, piling up continents of ice. What's the point? 
The point is, look at the skies. It didn't just happen. It couldn't have just happened. God did it. God made the sun. He made the moon. He made the stars. He created the universe. And not just the stuff out there, but the stuff down here as we move to day five. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves and with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters of the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Now again, day five is paired with day two. Day two, we get the expanse. Day two, we get the sky. And so into the sky come birds. Into the sea come sea life, come fish and everything else. And followed then by a blessing, a blessing um, on day twenty, on, on day five, in verse twenty-two, and God blessed them. This is the first blessing we see. God blessed them, saying, "Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the sea, and let the birds multiply on the earth." There'll be a similar blessing to man in just a few verses. Psalm chapter one hundred four, verses twenty-four through twenty-six say, "O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures." Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things, both small and great. There go the ships, the Leviathan, the sea creature, which you formed to play in it. God created birds and sea life. And now we come to day six. And we see the longest description of God's creative acts beginning with his creation of animals in verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock, creeping things, and beasts on the earth according to their kinds. And so it was. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, just like day three, on day six, we see a second act of creation. And we can note here in verse 26, there's a, a change. Moses was writing in the third person to now, in verse 26, writing in a first person plural. Look at it. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And then they and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created the heavens and the earth. Excuse me, God created in his own image. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Here's the second blessing. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heaven, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have given every green plant for you. And it was so. Here on day six, God brings forth land animals and mankind. Again, day six relates to day three. 
On day three, we got dry land, and now God's filling that dry land with land animals and men to live, a man to live. On both days three and day six, we see the double creation. John Lennox writes this in response to day three, that what Moses writes suggests that you do not, despite what naturalism asserts, what a naturalist would say, you do not get the inorganic, the non-living, you do not get from the inorganic to organic or from the non-living to the living without an external input of information. That's what Moses is telling us. He says after day six, you do not, again, despite what naturalism would, would assert, get animals to humans, get from animals to humans without an external input of information and energy from God. That's not how it works. That's not how creation happened. Vegetation doesn't just naturally come out of the ground. Mankind does not come out of an, of an animal. No, separate creation. God created the earth and God created plants. God created animals and God created mankind. And they are distinct and they are separate. What we can see in these days is the absence of any implication of any evolutionary process in which plants just come from the ground or that a man would come from an animal. Rather, Moses provides a defined creative order in which there is clear distinction between the earth and plants and between animals and man. God and God alone is the creator. Here on day six, we see some other things. Something about man. First, that God created man. He created humankind. The creation of man is the apex of the narrative, for man is the crown of creation. Look at it again in verse 26. And let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let us make man. Who's the us? Now, there's some different ideas about the, who the us is, but we can know who the us is because of what God continues to say. First of all, God said it. That should give us a clue. Let us make man in our image. And then in verse 27, he says, And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. So if we're made in the image of this one, who is the one? It is God. God is the us. And you say, well, that's a plural. Yes, it's a plural. And what is being indicated there? Certainly Moses would not have understood the plural. Let's be fair. He would not have understood the plural to the extent that we understand it as New Testament readers. But the plural is speaking about who God is. It's speaking about the triunity of God. That God is one, yes, and God is three persons. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit were all present at creation. The Bible affirms such a thing. That God is one God in three persons. In at creation, God said, let us, let the Father, let the Son, let the Holy Spirit make man in our image after our likeness. Some people want to separate what image and likeness might mean. It doesn't say, there's no and there. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. To some degree, it's a, it's a synonym. So not only did God create Mankind, he created mankind in his image. Derek Kidner says, to be created in God's image constitutes a declaration of ownership. That God made us in his image means that we are his. 
Another author says that to be made in God's image, it means to reflect God's goodness, to reflect his character, to represent his rule in the earth. So being made in God's image enables us to do what God has called us to do on this earth. And even though we are fallen, and we are, and we will learn about that in just a few chapters, and even though we are marred by sin, the image of God is still in us to be renewed through Christ. Not only did God create, not only did he create us in the image of God, But in verse 27, we find that he created us male and female. Male and female. We see that at the end of verse 27. Now, it shocks the the Bible reader that this would be a controversial statement, doesn't it? And yet, we are all aware of the confusion that exists around gender today. I am well aware of those who wish to sow the seeds of chaos to prey upon those who are most vulnerable, those with struggles, those with particular weaknesses, and particularly young people. And anyone, anyone who would seek to mislead or oppose what God has said on the matter of male and female is in no way, shape, or form helping anyone. We're told that to affirm such confusion is a way to love someone. It is not a way to love someone. You don't love someone in their confusion. You tell them the truth. What we need, what we need are adults to be adults. What we need is for people to tell the truth to one another. And we don't have to be mean about it. We can lovingly tell people how God has designed them. And I want everyone to listen this morning. That God's good design is that he made you male or female. That is good. And if you are a male this morning, that is good. And if you are a female this morning, that is good. You are made by God. You're beautiful and you're valuable the way you are. We are all broken. We are all fallen. We all have weaknesses. But how God made you is good. That is a biological reality and it is a theological certainty that God made us male and female. The two gender binary is complementary. Meaning it goes together. That's how God designed it to be for significant purposes. One being procreation which is part of what he tells creation to do. Be fruitful and multiply. That's why there are two genders. That's why there are complementary genders. The degradation that we see around us, what Romans 1 really describes, is a moral descent. It is not only a problem in America, and it did not start recently. It's occurred since the fall. And we are seeing the fruit of many years, decades, centuries of opposition to God's design. God's design is the foundation for life. It's the foundation for marriage and for children and for families, for communities, for civilization, and for all of humanity. And listen, you cannot remove the pillars of the foundation upon which we enjoy security and prosperity and blessing and expect to continue to experience security, prosperity, and blessing. 
It's not how it works. You can't remove the structures upon which those things exist and still expect to enjoy those very things. God's design must be followed. This is not an option. God isn't saying, well, maybe you're male or female. You, you get to decide. No, you don't get to decide. God has decided. And the God who knows all things knows best. We have a, we have a doctrine of man problem, an anthropology problem, that we think more highly than ourselves than we ought to. And we have a doctrine of God problem, a theology problem. We don't recognize who God is. We don't recognize who God is and who we are in light of that. Who, who, who that is created should say to the creator, I don't like what you did here. What, what pot says to the potter? No. We don't have that, that right. That is not our position. We are not autonomous. We are not self-determined. No, God has spoken. And this is what he has said. That God made man, he made him in his image, and he made mankind, male and female, to have dominion, to have rule, to subdue the earth, to multiply. He created us to rule over the earth. But due to our sin, we have, we have lost the right to rule. We have lost the right. We have lost what, what the psalmist said, that, that God had given him dominion over the works of, of God's hands. And, over, and you put all things under his feet. We've lost it. But as the redemptive narrative continues, the good news is that Christ has come and he came to exercise his authority to conquer sin, to conquer death in order that we could one day reign with him again. Listen to Romans chapter five, verse 17. For if because of one man's trespasses, death reigned through that one man, much more will those, those who receive the abundant grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. One day, those who are in Christ will rule again. One day, that those who are made in the image of God, who are the children of God, who have come to God through Christ, will reign with Christ over all things, will once again have dominion in the perfect way that Genesis 1 declares. And as we end chapter 1, we see this final verse in verse 31. And God saw everything that he made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, we've seen this phrase over and over again. It is good, or it was good. It was excellent, or it was pleasing, or it was stunning. We saw that repeated throughout chapter 1. But here in verse 31, it's a, it's a change. It's, it's elevated. It was very good. He's not just talking about what day six happened on day six. We know that. God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. The completion of, scripture, the completion of creation, God looks at it and says it's very good. And as we consider the fullness of God's creation, we ask ourselves, how, how then are we to live what is our response to all of this? Six days of, of miraculous creation. Six days of God's power being displayed undoubtedly. How do we respond? Psalm chapter 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. 
how did creation respond to what God was doing? They respond in glory, in glorifying God, in praising God, in proclaiming God's work. As God spoke, creation came into being. And it came into being without resistance. Did you notice there was no resistance? Like the stars didn't say like, mm, no, maybe I want to be a planet. Maybe I want to be the sun. Maybe I want to be the earth, God. Like I can identify as the earth. Like, no, no. We, see, we see no resistance, no hesitation. What do we see? We see God speak and it happens. The rest of creation does that. And yet we sit here and say, maybe, maybe God, maybe I'll listen to you. Maybe your word will, will have authority over my life. Maybe I'll do what it says today. Maybe I won't. What? Right? How dare the created ever object to the creator in such a way? How are we to live in response to creation? We're supposed to glorify God in obedience. James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. God has spoken his word. The question is, will you obey? There are not options here. God has commanded things. We must obey. And I ask you, what has God said that you are resisting today? What has God's word said that you're resisting today? He who has an ear, let him hear what God says and let him obey. Maybe you're here today and you've heard the gospel and you have refused to repent. You've refused to respond in faith. Then we invite you today to hear God's command in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. It's not actually an invitation. It's a command. It's a command from the king. The kingdom of God is at hand. Do this. Repent and believe the gospel. But some here might be Christians, and maybe you're resisting God's word today too. Maybe you're resisting God's word today about a particular area of your life. Maybe it's a particular sin that, that you, you want to continue in. You don't want to give it up. You find joy in it for some reason. Maybe you need to agree with God today about what he says about that, to repent and forsake that sin. Maybe some of you are doubting God. Maybe you're doubting his character. Maybe you're doubting his goodness. Maybe you're doubting that he's present here. Maybe you're doubting that he loves you. Maybe, maybe you're doubting that you can be forgiven. Hear the word of the Lord. He who has an ear, let him hear. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe on him should not perish, should be forgiven and have everlasting life. So will you acknowledge your lack of faith? Will you repent and walk in obedience by faith today? The good news of the Bible is that Jesus Christ not only created the world, not only holds it together, but came. And he came to demonstrate God's love. And as what the Bible calls the last Adam, came to live the perfect life, offer eternal life and renewal for those who would believe on him by faith alone. The God of creation is the God of salvation. 
Will you hear him today? Will you obey him today? May God help us. Let's pray. Father, in response to your word, would you help us to obey? We have heard of your creation. We have heard of your creating acts. We've heard of your authority, your sovereignty, your transcendence, your power. And in response, God, we recognize our our place. Our created place. Our place of fragility. Our place of smallness and weakness. Our place of dependence on you. And even in our smallness, and even in our weakness, you have so loved us to send your son. And so in response to such great power and great love and a great savior, help us to walk this week by faith, glorifying you as we obey, as we obey your word in love as you have loved us. We pray for your help to do it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh God.